0: Good morning. Good to see you this morning and I need to begin with a bit of a disclaimer this morning and I think I can best do that by telling you about my day so far. Um, This morning as I got in my car and started heading for church, I was trying to adjust my driver's side mirror and I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and nothing was happening. I'm thinking, great, the mirror's broken, the solenoid's gone or the motor's gone or something. And I thought, well, I wonder if my other mirror's broken too. And I look over, my right-hand mirror's pointed at the moon, so I realize I've been pushing the wrong button. And then at the beginning of first service, there's a section up here at the sound booth waving their arms at me. There was no sound. I pulled the pack out, and I put the battery in backwards. (laughs) And I'm sitting here listening to the announcements this morning, and when Charlie mentions the prodigal ministry, I thought he said, pot of gold ministry. I'm thinking, where do we start that, and where do you sign up? I say that for this reason, for some odd reason, about 10 years ago, I became allergic to nuts, and uh, I don't know why, I'd eaten nuts my whole life, but... um, it started with cashews and peanuts, and I know they're legumes, but still had an allergic reaction to them. And this thing has grown worse and worse and worse. And for a while, I could eat macadamia nuts, and then I had to stop eating those. And uh, yesterday, I had someone had sent to me a recipe for uh, bread in a cup. And it because I'm kind of doing the keto thing and staying away from wheat flour and all that, it, it required coconut flour. So anyway, I made this bread in a cup and anything that has the word nut in it, I'm always very careful. So I took a piece of it about the size of a raisin and ate it, and ever since then, I've been on Benadryl and prednisone. So if you've been here for any length of time, you know that when I take Benadryl, it creates a series of out-of-body experiences for me. (laughs) And I say that because if you think I started speaking in tongues in the middle of the message, just come back next week and I'll give the interpretation. So I just wanted to give that little disclaimer. I'm not all there this morning. And for those of you who are thinking you're not all there, 80 weeks, shame on you for thinking that. Well, this morning, if you'd like to uh, join us on Wednesday night, 1 Samuel 16 will be our text. 16 will be our number for the book of Acts this morning as well. So would you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, and we'll look at verses 16 through 34. And should we have to pause for a sneeze, a cough, or blowing of the nose, please have patience this morning. It's been quite a day. Now, last week we learned some valuable lessons about how the Lord leads. Now, we learned that, first of all, leading is just that. He is ordering our steps he is directing our path and therefore we made the observation that as the lord leads is not so much about what his will is but where he is taking us to fulfill it now we made the point through four scriptures we'll repeat this morning that his will is pretty well defined in scripture and it begins for us in romans 12:2 where we're told do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and what? Perfect will of God. So not being conformed to the world, but having a transformed and renewed mind is the will of God. First Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification being, being set apart from your former self or your former way of life, habits and practices. And then the example is given that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Then in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we're told in everything, do what? Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then Peter would add in 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So we know the will of God for all of us is not being conformed to the world through having a transformed and renovated mind, proving the good and acceptable, perfect will of God by living in sanctification, giving thanks to him for all things and therefore putting to silence the arguments of unregenerate men. Now, this is the general will of God for all of us this morning. And we also needed to note that as he leads us to the wares of his will, that he directs us through both open and closed doors. And therefore, we cannot let doubt and discouragement creep in when God closes a door. He's simply directing our path by keeping us from heading in the wrong direction. Now, we also noted that a closed door will always mean he has something better for us even as we made the case from our text, and better could simply be something better for us personally, and it could also be better for us ministry-wise. Now, remember, Paul, Silas, and Timothy had their sights set on cities in Asia Minor, but God had something bigger in mind. He had the whole continent of Europe that he wanted them to reach with the gospel, and therefore, he would send them in that direction via closed, two other closed doors. Now, we finished our time with a final reminder that where God leads may not be convenient or logical, but it is always fruitful. And we're going to build on that this morning and even add to the fact that where the Lord leads us can also be painful. Now, this is going to be an interesting message for us here this morning because it's one of those things that we don't often pay attention to because we don't want to. But it is part of the Christian experience that the Lord will lead us to places like Paul and Silas find themselves in this morning, where they are on the business end of a rod being applied to their back for doing good and going where God had led them. Now, we could title our time, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. And it would be a fitting title in a time where Christians today in our country are being fined for standing up and... Uh, defending the word of God as it pertains to marriage and sexuality, and they're losing their businesses for doing the same. And now there are many areas of the world that were formerly known as Christian countries, or at least had that as their foundation, who are now being arrested for being a Christian and saying anything that is contrary to the liberal agenda of the globalists today. Now, But I do want to say this. Our text is worthy of far more than a cliche or an adage for a title. And what we're going to glean from our text is what happens in our text. And that is, we're going to find power, persecution, and praise. And that is the title of our message this morning. Power, persecution, and praise. Now, I have resisted titling our time three Ps in a pod. You're welcome. But... Our title is actually a chronology of what we're going to read this morning as the experience of those who were directed by God, not to go to Asia Minor, but rather to go to Europe. The first thing we're going to see is divine power manifested through the apostle Paul and the persecution that resulted from Paul's display of divine power, followed by prayer and praise that poured forth from the midst of their persecution. Now, like we said last week, I'll mention it again this morning. This is not one of those messages where we're going to think, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this because so-and-so is you this morning and we all need to hear this today. Amen? Amen. Now, a couple of things to set the course. John 16:33. Jesus said, say Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have what? tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world now the question that arises at least it should in our minds is how do we make what we read an actualized reality or life experience how can we be of good cheer when we have tribulation now first of all we need to understand what tribulation means it just means pressures afflictions and troubles anybody ever have any of those So therefore, we're all in this morning. Now, we also need to add this. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul would add to what Jesus said, yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will have what experience? They'll suffer persecution. Now, the word desire could also be translated as determined or determined. So we could well read the text to say... All who are determined to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, the point of this and one of the tragedies today is topics like this are avoided by many churches. And we need to be teaching the whole counsel of God. Is tribulation part of the Christian experience? Is persecution part of the Christian experience? So do we need to know how to handle it? Absolutely. And this is why the Lord was so direct when he made statements regarding following him. He said things like, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. But then he said, you know what? They hated me first. So why would you expect anything different than what I experienced here on earth? He said, you know, you're even going to be reviled and persecuted for my name's sake. And you're even going to have enemies within your in your old household, meaning within your own family, just because you love me and follow me. Now, our title actually places two very important bookends on the word persecution, and they are power and praise. And during persecution and tribulations, we have access to power and we have reason to praise. And we'll learn how to walk in power and be a person of praise this morning when trials, tribulations, and persecutions come for our determining to live godly in Christ Jesus. We'll find three pieces to our triad of peas this morning and the first is found in verses 16 and 18 or through 18. So would you stand and read with me please. Acts chapter 16 verses 16 through 18. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And Lord, this is our petition this morning, that this very hour, you would do great things in our hearts and minds and transform and even renew and renovate our thinking. And Lord, help us to deal with these issues that none of us find pleasure in or seek out. But may we come away with an understanding that this is part of the Christian existence. Teach us better how to handle the troubles and tribulations and stresses of life. For your namesake and glory, we ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke is at it, as we mentioned from verse 10 last time, are headed down to the riverside. The fact that we were introduced to that was where prayer was held. Uh, traditionally, when there were not uh, 10 male heads of households, enough Jews to establish a synagogue in any, any given place, they would meet for prayer and reading of the word next to a body of water. Now, as they head there, they encounter a certain slave girl who is possessed with what's called a spirit of divination. Now, divination, and we'll explain it and then make a couple of comments about it regarding our time. It's an interesting Greek word. It's actually the word python. And yes, it means exactly what you think it means. It means a snake. Now, in Greek mythology, Python was the name of a serpent or a dragon who was said to guard the priestess at the temple of Delphi, who was slain by the god Apollo. Now, this slave girl had the spirit of a serpent. And the serpent spirit caused her to have an ability to utter spells and act as a seer. That's the uh, definition of the word fortune telling of the phrase fortune telling. Now, this makes a good point for us. She had a spirit of divination. It was a demonic spirit. It was the spirit of a serpent. Are you here this morning? That tells us this, that all modern day fortune tellers and psychics and seers who have the seeming ability to tell people things about themselves that they couldn't possibly know are slaves of the serpent king and therefore either demonically possessed or at least demonically inspired and empowered. I got bad news for Tom Brady and his wife. She said she's a good witch. There's no such thing as a good witch. All witchcraft is demonic. All witchcraft is demonic. There's no such thing as a good witch. That's like saying there's a good devil. No such thing. Amen? Amen. Now the girl followed the gang of four for many days, crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of the Lord. Was she wrong? Was she telling the truth? Yes, everything she said was true about this quartet. So why would Paul want to silence someone who was telling the truth about them and their ministry? Why did he get annoyed at this free advertising, so to speak? Well, our answer is found in the actions of Jesus in Mark 1, 32 to 34, where Mark says at evening when the sun had set, They brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak. Why? Because they knew him. Now, listen, I I, got to pause here and say something. My time between first and second service was a time of coughing and blowing my nose and sneezing for the whole break between the two services. And I brought with me two Dayquil for me to take in case things got too out of hand. And before first service, I said, Lord, I'm gonna trust you to get me through instead of taking these DayQuil. And it was so bad between second service. I actually took them out of the wrapper, getting ready to take them. And I paused and I said, no, Lord, if you did it once, you can do it again. And I haven't coughed or sneezed or blown my nose since I've been up here. So I just had to give glory to God for the simple things in life, amen? Now, listen, Jesus did not let the demon speak because he doesn't want the endorsement of the devil. And that's the same reason Paul silenced this demonic proclamation of truth, because it would have created an association between what he was preaching and what this woman was doing, this poor slave girl. Now, the word annoyed, Paul being annoyed with this is a bit of an unfortunate translation because the word could also, and I would go as far to say, should also be translated as to be grieved. It could be translated as to be troubled or even to be pained. Now, we need to understand this because we can't view this scene as Paul coming to a place of anger or frustration where he turns around and just says, enough's enough. Enough and shut this girl down and called the demon spirit out of her. Paul was grieved for this girl. Paul wanted to see this girl set free. And he turned and spoke to the spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. Now, second side note, that very hour was actually a common phrase during that time where we would equate it to being the equivalent of saying right away or at that very moment. So it wasn't that sometime later within an hour, the spirit came out. Listen, when you speak the name of Jesus, things begin to happen. And the spirit came out of her at that very moment. Now, so let's recap 16 to 18. Paul and company are headed to a prayer meeting. They encounter a possessed slave girl. The name of Jesus is spoken and manifested power of the Holy Spirit sets her free. Now, what this translates to you and I of the first P of our three for the morning is simply this. Listen this morning. We need to remember this. The most powerful people on earth are Christians filled with the Holy Spirit. The most powerful people on earth are Christians filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking buying power. I'm not talking about physical power or strength or even tyrannical power to dominate other people. But here's what I am talking about this morning. I'm talking about demon-commanding, life-changing, captive-freeing, devil-defeating, dead-raising, true, real, divine power manifested in you and I. Listen, that kind of power makes all human power look feeble by comparison. Now, we have this promise in Acts 1.8, spoken by Jesus, when he said, you shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you for this purpose, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And then he gives the time span of this truth and to the end of the earth. God's people will be an empowered people until the earth comes to an end. Now, the manifestations of being a witness are many. And we'll see some interesting ones in a few minutes. But Paul adds this in Romans eight eleven. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, Jesus said that we'll have power until the earth ends. And Paul reminds us of a feature of that power. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in you and lives in me. Money couldn't cast out this demon. She couldn't be purchased back from the devil. Political power, political prestige couldn't cast out this demon. The name of Caesar who claimed to be God couldn't cast out this demon. Not even the name of Peter or Paul or Timothy or Luke or any of those within this entourage were powerful enough to cast out this demon. But you bring up the name that is above all of the names and that demon has to obey. And that is why Paul employed the invincible weapon of the name of Jesus and the demon came out at that very moment. And that means the most powerful people on earth are spirit-filled Christians. But as we said, no good deed goes unpunished. So let's look at the persecution portion of our three Ps, everybody's favorite subject. Look at 19 to 24. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs, which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes. I mean, what else could they do? And commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, Paul and Silas were in trouble with the locals because they had exercised the girl's owner's profit-making scheme. Now, we need to recognize something from this, and that is when the church begins to impact the bottom line of those who are in the sin business, there's going to be backlash from those who profit off of people's fleshly desires. Now, there's a man named Richard Collier, who is the historian for the Salvation Army, who writes this about the beginnings of the Salvation Army. And he said, and I quote, Persecution was great from the beginning. Gangs frequently hurled mud and stones through the windows at the preaching and the crowd. The liquor dealers worked hard to have Booth kicked out of East London. The police were of no help. In fact, they often broke up outdoor meetings and accused Booth's followers of being the cause of all the trouble. Beatings were not uncommon. In 1889, at least 669 Salvation Army members were assaulted. Some were killed and many were maimed. Even children were not immune. Ruffians threw lime in the eyes of the child of a Salvation Army member. And the newspapers ridiculed Booth. Punch Magazine referred to him as Field Marshal Marshal Von Booth. End of quote. Salvation Army has done a wonderful work around the world in helping people who are in crisis situations. And therefore the devil rose up to oppose them because the heart of their efforts was the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that souls might be saved. Satan was behind the enslavement of this poor slave girl and the persecution that arose for setting her free by the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is it because is because it began to affect the community's bottom line. And like Jesus and like Stephen, false accusations were leveled at the pair of men. Luke and Timothy were not arrested or imprisoned because Timothy was a half Jew, half Greek. Remember his mother was Jewish, his dad was Greek and Luke was a full Gentile. So they were not accused. And however, the masters of this poor girl bring Paul and Silas to the Agora or the marketplace before the praetors or magistrates and begin their accusations with anti-Semitic slurs. These men are Jews is where they begin, And the fact is, the Jews had a terrible reputation amongst the uh, Roman hierarchy and leadership. Then they said, they exceedingly troubled our city. Yeah, boy, what a bunch of troublemakers. They cast a demon onto some poor slave girl. And then they add this lie. They're teaching unlawful customs contrary to Roman law. Was it in Roman law that a girl should be demon possessed and have the spirit of divination? Of course not. Now, at hearing this, the girl's masters succeeded winning over the crowd, and then the magistrates who showed their disdain for the Jews by punishing this pair of missionaries and setting their trial for the next day. Now this was illegal according to Roman law, but just as Jesus' trial without witnesses was illegal according to Jewish law, According to Jewish law, the person accused had to have at least two witnesses called forth on their behalf, and you had to allow a 24-hour period for them to be found and brought forth. Did that happen when Jesus was arrested? No, it didn't. So violating their own laws is nothing unusual with the unregenerate. and Boy, do we see that happening in our world today. Now, the penalty phase for the pair preceded the trial. They were beaten with rods. Now the Jews would limit a beating with stripes or with rods to uh, 40 minus one for mercy. Well, if you want to be really merciful, it ought to be one minus 39. Amen. But the Romans had no such law. And Paul and Silas were beaten until the magistrates said, stop. Now the officials who punished Paul, and this is kind of a piece of trivia for you. I thought this was interesting. The officials who punished Paul and Silas were called lictors. And therefore, a saying developed from them overseeing the beating of people with rods. And the saying that developed that is still repeated today is getting your licks in. It comes from this very time frame when someone get their licks in it, pointing back to the time when the magistrates would have someone beaten with rods in Roman culture. Now, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 to 28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons more frequently in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Apparently this is the first. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day in the night I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Then he says, what? Besides the other things. He gives this exhaustive list of persecutions and tribulations. And then he just says, and uh, all the other stuff. But listen to what he then says. It's not all that stuff that comes upon me daily. What comes upon my, me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. You see, this is the perspective that we ought to have as spirit-filled believers regarding persecution. We ought to have a deep concern for the advancement of the cause of Christ and his kingdom. And this was likely the beginning of the string of persecutions, except for the stoning we've already read about with Paul. When he spoke of this in his second letter to the church at Corinth, where he was exposing false prophets by contrasting their experience with his own. His was one of persecution. His was one of being beaten with rods. His was one of being shipwrecked and cast out into the sea for a day and a night. Now, having been beaten, the pair, Paul and Silas, are put in the inner prison. We would liken that to solitary confinement. Now, remember, their backs have been ripped open with the rods, shredded down to the uh, ribs and beyond, possibly. And then their feet are put in stocks, making it impossible for them to lay on their stomach or their side to get comfortable. But we need to know something else about the stocks. The stocks that the feet were put in for prisoners had multiple holes and the jailer's job was to stretch their legs out as far and most painfully as possible and insert their feet into the farthest out holes that they could to create the maximum discomfort and pain on top of having a back that is beaten with rods. What was their crime? freeing a slave girl from demon possession. Now, this brings us to the next feature of our three P progression this morning. And it is a bit instructive. And it's also a reminder rolled into one. Now, listen this morning. We'll have to talk about this for a moment, but I want you to jot this down. Only those living righteously can be persecuted for righteousness sake. Only those living righteously can be persecuted for righteousness sake. Now, I say this because there are too many people today who attribute negative experiences to being persecuted for being a Christian. Listen, you're only persecuted for being a Christian if you're being a Christian. I told you it was going to be deep this morning. I'm on Benadryl. We got hefty stuff coming this morning. Now, let me give you an example. The Christian bakers in Oregon who refused to bake a cake for a gay wedding even though they baked multiple cakes for the same couple in the time past, said, you know what? Now you're breaching my territory. Now you're asking me to confirm a practice that the Bible says should not be practiced. And they took a stand and the state of Oregon fined them an exorbitant fee and they lost their business and their home. That's being persecuted for righteousness sake. 21 Coptic Christians on their knees in orange jumpsuits on the beach of uh, Libya being beheaded by ISIS. These were being persecuted for righteousness sake. And listen, there are times and seasons of history where Christians were persecuted Much in the same way that the Jews were and are just for being Jews or Christians. But the fact is, what we need to realize is that in our country, if you're a silent Christian, one who never takes a moral stand, one who never seeks to share your faith or lives in a manner that is more carnal and Christ-like, Satan is going to leave you alone. And the reason I say that is because that's his favorite kind of Christian. One who is non-impacting Of the world and people around them. But become grieved over the condition of lost souls around you. Begin to share the word that someone can receive the implanted word. Which is able to save their souls. And you've crossed a line. And you have stirred up the enemy. And he will bring people to oppose, oppress, and persecute you. But listen. We were foretold of this when we said yes to Jesus. He said you will have tribulation. The Spirit inspired Paul to say you will be persecuted when you determine to live godly. But Jesus also balanced all that with Matthew five eleven to 12, when he said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For what reason? For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward next Tuesday. For great is your reward where? In heaven. By the way, we are going there. Amen. Amen. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. Jesus is just saying this is the way it is. This is how it is for those who believe God. This is how it is for those who follow me. Now, this is exactly what happened to Paul and Silas. They were reviled and persecuted and false testimony was offered against them because they deployed the invincible weapon of Jesus' name to free a slave girl who was being taken advantage of by the forces of darkness and those who followed them. Now, let me remind you of a couple of things here from Leviticus 26.8. The Lord says to Israel, five of you shall chase a hundred. And a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Now, the reason I wanted to highlight this particular scripture is for this reason. Oftentimes, we see a general principle revealed to us through a specific application of that principle. And the specific application here is Israel being empowered by God and God fighting on their behalf. And we have stories like Gideon fighting the Midianites, grossly outnumbered, and yet gaining the victory. Now, the general principle is something that applies to you and I, and we have covered it in our first point. We are the most powerful people on earth because the power that raised Christ from the dead is active in us. And therefore... It is also the power over persecution. Let me give you some examples. This is a long read, but it's worth it. Hebrews 1130 to 38, a portion of the hall of faith tells us, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? The author writes, For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Now, Hebrews is in the New Testament, right? Is this a history lesson? Or is it life application? Well, we have an unfortunate pra- uh, chapter break between 11 and 12 where the author says this, therefore, what are the next two words? We also. Who's he also connecting them to? All of those in Hebrews 11. We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the aforementioned people, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And listen, only those living righteously can be per, uh, persecuted for righteousness sake. And let me remind you of this and we'll move on. In God's army, there's no secret service. We're all to go public with our faith. We're all to be bold, public proclaimers that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Now, so how do we employ the power over persecution? Well, the answer comes in one word, and that is praise. And we'll see this manifested In our last section, by the way, I wanted to save the last portion of 16 for a message in and of itself, because there's another important thing for us to glean from the final verses. So let's read 25 to 34, and we'll wrap up our time together. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, When he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, it says they were praying. We actually could have had four peas in our pod. But the reason I didn't add prayer is because the reality is when persecution comes, we don't need to be reminded to pray because we're pretty quick to go to prayer when persecution comes, right? What we need to be reminded of when persecution comes is to praise, and therefore, it is our third P. Now, on their way to prayer, the power of God is manifested through Paul at the proclamation of Jesus' name and a demon-possessed girl is set free, free from the demons and free from her profiteers. The response by the profiteers, the public, and the magistrates is beating them with rods, solitary confinement, putting their feet in stocks for going where God had led them to go. The day passes, night comes, midnight arrives, and Paul and Silas begin to tell the other prisoners that they are innocent of all charges. Is that what your Bible says? No. Paul and Silas begin to cry out to God about this grave injustice. Is that what your Bible says? Paul and Silas begin to confer with one another about how God had failed them. Is that what your Bible says? No. Well, you know what Paul and Silas did at midnight? They said, hey, it's praise night. So listen, when manifested divine power was followed by persecution, Paul and Silas then manifested the power over persecution with prayer and praise. Now, the object of their praise, which is God, then joined the prayer night and acknowledged their praise while persecuted by shaking the place with an earthquake that shook the foundations, a great earthquake, shook the foundations of the prison, leaving all the doors open and even loosing the chains of all the prisoners who were bound. That's the power of praise over persecution. It set captives free, amen? Now, let me remind you that when we find something that's true in one section of scripture, it's going to be true throughout the whole of scripture. Let me give you another example of what we're talking about. Psalm 1, King David said, I will bless the Lord when I'm feeling good and things are great. I will bless the Lord when? At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, let me give you the backdrop about which uh, king David wrote these words in the all times he was speaking of. Looking at 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 15, we're told of a time when David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another and dance his saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10,000s? Now, David took these words to heart and he was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, let his saliva, he slobbered all over his own beard. Then Achish said to his servants, look, this guy's a nut. Paraphrasing. Why have you brought him to me? Have I in need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman of my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Now, This is what Psalm 34 is all about. King David said, I will bless the Lord even when I, as the rightful king of Israel, am being pursued by the people's choice for the king of Israel. Even when I'm in the hometown of Goliath carrying the sword, I cut his head off with, the previous verses tell us, Even when I have to act like a nut to save my own hide and humiliate myself in order to escape, I will bless the Lord in such times and his praise will continually be in my mouth. Paul and Silas followed suit by their actions. And their actions say with shredded backs and stalked feet we will pray and sing hymns to God and bless the Lord at all times, even in this situation. And our mouths will be filled with praise. Now, you have to remember the jailer was complicit in all this. He was about to kill himself because the fact was Roman law said, when a prisoner escapes a jailer, then the jailer has to pay the sentence that the prisoner has uh, been sentenced to. And therefore obviously some were sentenced to death because he was about to kill himself Rather than wait for uh, the Romans, his fellow countrymen, to kill him under Roman law. Now Paul says with a loud voice, don't do it, we're here. Everybody's here. Now, can you think of a time now or a prison where if an earthquake shook the building and everybody's chains fell off and all the doors fell open, where everybody would stay there? Well, I'm thinking that wouldn't happen today. How about you? Well... You know what that tells us? Something supernatural was happening in that whole prison because the prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas pray and sing hymns to God. Now, remember when the chains fell off Peter? And this is one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts. Remember Peter, he was the next day going to be executed and he's out like a light on the prison floor, so much so that the angel had to rouse him to get him up. And then Peter got up and started walking out. He walks by the guard gate. The gates opened of their own accord. He starts walking down the street of the city thinking, is this real or am I having a dream? And then all of a sudden he realizes, I'm out, I'm free. Now, you would think that Paul and Silas, when the stocks came off their feet, that they would be on their feet, headed out the door, but they weren't. And the reason for that was that they had a greater burden for the imprisoned souls than they did for their own freedom. They wanted to see others come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. It's not that Peter didn't have that same burden. It's that Peter was on a different mission. And the Lord led him out of the situation in a specific manner so that he would leave the prison. Now, we need to take note. The prayer and praise of Paul and Silas captured the captives in the prison. And none of them left after what they had heard and seen with these two men. The jailer calls for a torch. He goes to Paul and Silas and reveals that he too was moved by what the two men had said and what he had heard about them. And he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then Paul prophetically speaks about his household being saved too. They weren't saved when the jailer got saved. They had to believe as well on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they showed evidence of doing so by being baptized immediately that same hour. Now, Here's something interesting. There are those who say there was no call to repentance in this message that uh, Paul gave to the jailer. And therefore, we have a biblical foundation for repentance not being necessary uh, for salvation. Well, listen, let me just say this to that ridiculous statement. The word repentance may not appear in the text, but there is repentance all through the text. Because remember, repentance means a change of mind. And when your mind changes, your life direction does too. So let's see about this guy and his changed mind. Remember the guy that put their feet in the stocks, extended their feet out to the most painful possible position and then locked them up so they couldn't lay down on uh, their side or stomach, but rather had to lay down on their beaten backs. This is the guy who now says, what must I do to be saved? Listen, the jailer who had not washed their wounds now does. The jailer who had not offered them food now does. The jailer who was an evil persecutor is now seen at the same table with them as a brother rejoicing in the Lord. If that's not repentance, I don't know what is. Now, before we get to our final point, let me remind us all of an unpleasant truth I've shared in the past, but it's just as true today and will be true until the Lord comes to get us. And it's just this, God's glory is more important than our comfort. God's glory is more important than our comfort. And therefore, we need to learn how to give him glory in uncomfortable situations. And they can't get much more uncomfortable than the one we have in our text. Now, here's our final takeaway in our third P of our triad. Listen this morning. Praise when persecuted is an anthem to God's goodness and glory. Praise when persecuted is an anthem to God's goodness and glory. Now think about this, carnal people can rejoice when things are good. Unregenerate people can be glad when life is good, but the power of praise during persecution is something exclusive to the Christian. And it is a revelation from the valley floor to behind the prison door, that God is worthy of our praise. Now what happened in this scene is simple. The jailer and the other prisoners realized these men aren't like us. They do proclaim the way of salvation. They are servants of the most high God. And the way they talk to God and praise God shows they know God and therefore there is a God. And listen, we need to understand All that is going on in our world today and within churchdom is not good. Listen, the church is supposed to be different from the world. We're not supposed to try and make the church like a nightclub so people who don't know the Lord are more comfortable in the church. The church is supposed to be different on every level. That's why Paul would write to the church at Corinth, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And therefore we are to be a distinct, exclusive people set apart for a holy work for God, that when the world encounters us, they say, that person has something I don't have and I want it. But when we're just like them, only saved, who needs to be saved? We ought to be distinct in all of our behaviors. We are to praise God in the midst of persecution because it's an anthem that God is good and he is worthy of glory, no matter our life experience or circumstance. Now the jailer says, when Paul essentially spares his life, what do I have to do to get this salvation that you proclaim? And Paul said, regular church attendance and a tithe record is what you need to do Is that what he said? No, he said what he wrote to the church at Rome, interestingly, in 10, 9 to 13. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe where? In your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes, On him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Greek there being, meaning Gentile. For the same Lord is rich over, is, over all, is rich to all who call upon him. Please read the last sentence with me out loud. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what believe means. That's what Paul meant when he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave an answer to the jailer's inquiry and it was what it still remains today. Belief is that Jesus is the son of God risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of majesty on high, living daily as intercession for you and I. And listen this morning, God is still unwilling that any should perish, but that all would come to church. God is unwilling that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance, a change of mind with a life direction that follows and proves it to be so. And therefore, our final takeaway for our time this morning is simply this. How we handle the trials, tribulations, and persecutions for the name of the Lord communicates to the lost that our God saves, transforms, and delivers. It matters how we handle the tough stuff. Even though we need to recognize power manifested often leads to, to per, uh, persecution experienced, just as we see here in our text. But even that can be endured by employing the power of praise. Let's bless the Lord at all times and through all experiences. Listen, there are times where God will bring us to things we may not be thankful for but we can be thankful through. We can thank him from beginning to end of every difficulty and trial, for he will never fail us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And therefore we can come to the conclusion of Hebrews, therefore what can man do to me? You see, that's what made these men have a prayer and praise meeting at midnight with beaten backs and outstretched legs. In the stocks. Man could do nothing to take from them what is most precious, which was a saved soul and eternal life in heaven with the Lord. Somebody say, and Father, we are grateful that this is our experience too. We're thankful, Lord, that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and the experiences that they had and the things they went through both the positive and the negative, the power that was displayed through them, the persecution that came because of that display of power. And yet, Lord, we see also that they are the examples for us so that we can run our race with endurance, laying aside the things that hinder, things that just slow us down that aren't sins, the weights and the things that slow us down because they are sins the sins, the things that so easily beset us. So we thank you, Lord, that persecution need not slow us down or cause us to sin or even be a weight. But it can be a time of prayer and praise. And Lord, that others may hear our voices blessing you when life is hard, times are troubling, and persecution is on the rise, that they may come to us and say, What must I do to have what you have? Help us, Lord, to not shy away from these things or try to avoid persecution. I pray also you help us not to be obnoxious Christians, but rather loving Christians, kind Christians to others and those around us who are perishing. Even as Paul displayed unparalleled kindness, as he said to the jailer, do yourself no harm when he could have easily got up and walked out of the prison. Help us to have that kind of Christ-like love displayed in our lives as well, even with those who, like the jailer, are our persecutors. Lord, we confess this morning that that's beyond our own capability and requires the spirit. But thank you, you have given to us your spirit as a guarantee of our future inheritance. So help us, Lord, not just to hear these words this morning, but to heed them and do them as we now go. We bless your name. Thank you, Lord, for getting us through this message this morning without a single cough or sneeze. Glory to your great name. We bless you, Lord, for the big and the small, but we thank you most of all for Jesus coming into the world to die for we sinners. We thank you again. We give you praise and glory, and may we do so with all we say and do. From this day forward, like never before, in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said together, Amen.